the verse in 18, Paul is speaking and he says, they have been, speaking about some co-workers, they have been a wonderful encouragement to me as they have been to you and you must show your appreciation to all who serve so well. And so Miriam, I want to say you have been a wonderful encouragement to me and to our staff and to this community. And so we want to show you our appreciation for serving so well. And so we're going to do that a little bit later on, uh, but I wanted to just before you scooted away anywhere uh, that you would be able to hear some of that reflected back to you. So I want to remind everybody that if you would like to bless and encourage Miriam or Keith or any of our staff, uh, there's a series of cards that are over just beside the Welcome Center there. And that would be your best way to do it if you're more of a writer and you can reflect your thoughts that way. Today is the last day. We've had those out for the last five weeks. And so we'd encourage you to do that at any time during the morning. Uh, just head up over behind the curtain and write uh, on those cards. And uh, we will present Miriam's and Keith's to them today at the end of our time uh, together. So Keith, um, as many of you are aware here in the congregation, uh, Pastor Keith announced his transition from being the associate pastor here at Jericho to working for our denominational uh, graduate theological educational institution, Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary Canada, uh, here as a part of the Acts Consortium on the campus of Trinity Western University. And I'm excited for you, Keith. I'm excited for the opportunity uh, that this is for you. I'm excited for the fit that this is for your skill set uh, and your heart for discipleship and the way in which God is going to use you in that context to bless and challenge and grow the maturity and the faithful discipleship of many, many people across the country uh, as a result of the role that God will give you there. And so while we're excited for Keith, it's also appropriate to acknowledge just a sense of loss in our own community here as Keith transitions and for those who've called him a colleague and who have called him a pastor for the last eight years. And so uh, Keith is going to come and preach in his final uh, Sunday on staff. But Keith, as you come, I want to speak a word of blessing over you from the scripture too, from the words of Paul uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Keith, when you and Melissa first uh, were attending Jericho nine years ago and we began to explore the uh, possibility or what it would look like to have you coming on staff one of the first characteristics that, uh, that stood out to me was your faithfulness. Um, you were a person who's steady, not just in personality and in your leadership, but you are faithful and tenacious in your walk with God, and you have an intentionality about that that's been a challenge to me and has been an example to me and to many others here in this community, and it's been a joy to work alongside of you. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says of Timothy, he has stayed true to that which is right. And your consistency and your constancy have been a blessing to this church. Because in a place uh, like Jericho, where we've experienced so many transitions and will continue to do so in the life of a community, uh, someone that has a spirit of faithfulness and constancy brings such a gift from the Lord to his church and to his body. And so I bless and affirm you for that because Jericho is more faithful and fruitful place because of your leadership and your faithfulness to following God. And the second thing that I want to bless and affirm just as you, as you do it again this morning is your teaching ministry. Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, that Timothy is one that has been personally nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching that he has followed. 
And Paul says this is not only something that's been evident in Timothy's personal life, but that Timothy has then explained these things well to brothers and sisters. Paul says, teach these things to everyone and insist that everyone learn them. Insist that they focus on the reading of scriptures to the church and encouraging the believers and teaching them. And Keith, that's something that you've done with faithfulness and with a deep sense of conviction of how the Word of God transforms our hearts and lives over these last eight years. And one of your, our core values as a church is transformational truth. And this has been lived out and evidenced by Keith. And I and many others have been deeply and personally challenged by your public and by your private teaching ministry. Uh, you have a love for God's Word that has helped us as a community grow in that and grow in our knowledge and in our passion and understanding. And we're a deeper and richer people of the book because of your ministry among us. And so I bless and affirm you in that. I know that that'll continue uh, in, a, in a different way as you move into uh, your role with the seminary. But uh, I want to speak over you the words, um, pray over you the words of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. And so, Father, I agree uh, with this scripture that says uh, over Keith, but you, Keith Reed, are a man of God. You pursue righteousness. You pursue a godly life along with faith and love, perseverance and gentleness. You fight the good fight for the true faith. And you hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you to and which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And so, Father, we publicly bless and affirm Keith as your servant, as your son, as one who has lived well and will continue to live well and teach well and follow you with faithfulness before many witnesses, not only here in our community, in his neighborhood, in his extended family, but also now to an extended family, Jesus, of many of your followers as he takes on a role with a teaching role, an equipping role at the seminary. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would continue to allow him to pursue and live out godliness, righteousness, faithfulness, and that you would gift him and gift us with words to hear that which you are speaking to us through your servant Keith. In the name of Jesus, who is faithful, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. As it's been mentioned a few times, I announced my resignation a few weeks ago from my role here as the associate pastor so that I could accept a job offer at MB Biblical Seminary. And as I wrote that announcement and as I delivered that announcement a few weeks ago, uh, I had a number of thoughts and feelings that I was trying to express. And I was reminded of something that I read in a recent book by John Ortberg. And he writes, there are always two parts to God's going, going from and going to. Now, of course, John Ortberg, at least to my knowledge, was not writing this book to me. It would have been a very very ambitious thing to do and a very kind thing to do, but he wasn't writing it to me and he wasn't referring to me when he made this point. He was talking about a man named Abram who's told by God to go. And so Abraham obeys and he leaves. 
Abram leaves his country, he leaves his people, he leaves his father's household, he walks through an open door of opportunity with the hope and with the faith that it will truly lead to the land that God has promised to show him. Now, my name is not Abram. I am not moving to an unknown land. And yet, I do identify with the emotion that comes with the experience of going from one thing to another. Did God tell me to leave my position here at the church? No, not directly. Did God give me a divine call to take this new position at the seminary? I would say no, because calling is a word and a concept that's too important and too intense to describe what I have experienced. So why then am I choosing to move on? Well, I was approached with a new opportunity that I'm excited about. I see it as a new challenge and a new phase for me and my family. I can't say for sure what it will bring, but I want to trust that God will show me as I do my best to serve him with the gifts and abilities that I have. But it comes with a cost. I'm leaving a role that I value very much. My position in this church has become an extension of who I am. And in doing so, I will experience a number of changes, and this church will experience a number of changes too. I am who I am because of who this church is. God has used this church as a means of refining me as a person. And I believe that I am a better and more faithful follower of Christ because of Jericho Ridge. And for this, I am very thankful. Has every moment been joyful? No. Has every moment been rewarding? Well, some of them have been. Has it been easy? No way. Has it been stretching, challenging, and has it changed me? Without a doubt. Has it caused me to ask myself questions while I preach? Apparently. I began my time at at Jericho Ridge fresh out of seminary. The Board of Elders uh, wanted to provide Brad with some additional help as Jericho grew and as the workload became more demanding. And so they approached me. They looked at me and they took a chance. I was 26 years old at the time. I had a grand total of two sermons under my belt. But at the time, it actually wasn't that much of a risk. It was a four-month internship, but it grew into a role that it has become today. And I want to thank you, church, for giving me that opportunity to grow and to lead. It's changed my life. On my first Sunday as a staff member, I wore khaki pants and a dress shirt. I thought this was the respectful thing to do. And on that very Sunday, one of the elders approached me and he said, why are you dressed like that? And so that was the last Sunday that I wore khaki pants and a dress shirt. I went back to wearing jeans and shorts. Little did I know that eight years later, I would be wearing an apron and high heels at a church picnic. (laughs) When a person transitions from one thing to another, it gives everyone a chance to think about the significance. Over the past few weeks, I've had a number of people express their thanks to me, and I appreciate this very much. Some of you have said things about me that are far too kind to be true. I've come to realize that the thing that I care most about in life is helping people make positive life change, see people transform from their former selves into faithful followers of Jesus. And I'm thankful that some of you have allowed me to walk with you as you have been ambitious in this pursuit, and that some of you have chosen to walk with me as I too have tried to grow and mature in my walk with Christ. 
I know that I will have new opportunities in my future, but I will miss the level of capacity that I had while I served here as your pastor. I will miss other things too. I will miss working with the staff team and with the elders team. I will miss preaching. I will not miss editing Pastor Brad's documents. But I will miss laughing at some of the typos that our staff has made, and I include myself in that as well. Just to add a little bit of a humorous tone here, just a few weeks ago, Brad tried to deliver a compliment to our hardworking hospitality team, but he did everything, undid everything he intended to do when he referred to them as the hostility team. <laughs> Years ago, I wrote in the info sheet that a mother was on maturity leave. <laughs> but my all-time favorite is actually just a couple of months ago when during the work week, Tammy asked how my sermon prep was going on the topic of sexual immortality. I could spend a lot of time telling stories about my experiences with the staff, but since this is my final day on staff on a Sunday, I want to direct my words to Miriam. Is Miriam back here in the banquet hall? She's not. She, big surprise, is, is faithfully serving uh, Sunday cinema. Well, Miriam, you can listen to this uh, at a later time when it's posted online. Miriam, I respect you deeply. deeply. You have an incredible love for the church. You're a dedicated servant, and you leave traces of compassion and grace wherever you go. You are a delight to work with, and since I've now buttered you up with all kinds of compliments, I hope you will still be my friend, even though we are no longer co-workers. God gifts each one of us uniquely, but we, need, but we need a diversity of people and gifts in our church. And I know this, but if I could, I would have you cloned many times over so that we could add a Miriam to everything that we do. Children's ministry has always been an emphasis here at Jericho Ridge, but ministering to children and to youth has never been part of my job description, so I've, I've missed out on the bulk of what happens. But my interactions with kids has been an absolute joy. I can think of many times when kids from our church have greeted me with excitement at their front door as I've entered their home to have a meeting with their parents. They've recited a memory verse. They've stood there in amazement as a guy who speaks on stage is now entering their living room. They've given me crafts and told me stories that are incomprehensible. They've done it all with joy, and it's been, it's been thrilling to feel like I've been part of the family. I still have homemade cards and books from Ella LaFleur. I laughed when I was told that when Ryan Van Zyderveld wears a particular colored shirt, he says that he looks just like Pastor Keith. Even my own son sometimes calls me Pastor Keith when I'm not around. <laughs> I've had the privilege of praying with many of you about your children and the children you hope to have. I have visited in the hospital. We visited in your homes. We've stood on this very stage and announced to all who are here your intention to model your faith to your children and to raise them to follow Jesus. And I'm a stakeholder in that. I'm a stakeholder in those commitments and because of this, I feel like I am a family member to many of you. One of my greatest hopes is that the children of Jericho Ridge will choose to follow Jesus and never part, depart from their decision. In my mind, this may be our church's greatest legacy. Excuse me. 
And what a legacy it would be. I could say much more about my experience as a pastor at Jericho Ridge, but we're supposed to end early. I'm looking forward to having a Mountain Dew. (laughs) And Tammy always tells me that my sermon better be good to meet her high expectations or else I'll hear about it later. Uh, Brad told me that I could preach on, on anything that I wanted to, so I decided to focus on some words that Jesus spoke. I wanted to choose something short, and there's no better place to find a short story than in Mark's gospel. Mark writes his book like he's finishing an assignment just before recess. The other gospels are pretty short too, but Mark's is really, really short and to the point. And when I read his stories, I find myself always wanting more information, not less. And when we read the entire stories, all these series of stories in the span of a paragraph, it can feel like we live in a completely different world because these stories don't sound like the stories of our life. We usually don't hear about what these characters thought or how they felt. We don't know how long it takes before they choose to speak or make a decision. We're just told what happened in a few verses, and then we're left to guess what happened in between these verses. We're given the history. We're not usually given the process. We read about the outcomes instead of the things that led to the outcomes. And there might not be a better example of this than when Jesus speaks to his disciples for the first time and tells them to follow him. You remember how this story goes? Matthew and Mark each tell the story, and their stories are almost identical. Matthew tells his story in his fourth chapter. Begins in verse 18, I believe. But Mark chooses to make it one of his first stories in his book. It it appears in his first chapter. And if you have your Bible with you or your phone, if you prefer to use that, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 14 to 18. Jesus has just returned to Galilee. He's just finished his own experience of going. The Spirit of God had led him into the desert where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. And in the time when Jesus has been gone, things have happened. Things have changed. Something significant has happened. And in Matthew's telling of this story, he actually links what has happened while Jesus is gone to the reason for Jesus coming back. Jesus returns to Galilee because John the Baptist has been put in prison. Now, John's a major character in the gospel stories. In fact, Mark kind of seems to write the opening part of his, of his story here with that very direct link between John the Baptist and Jesus. John is the messenger who was sent ahead of the Messiah, and his purpose is to prepare the way for the Lord. But now, John is gone. He's in jail. And sadly, we find out later on in the story, he will be executed. When John is in prison, when he's arrested and taken into prison, Jesus is in the desert. He's completely out of the picture. No telegrams, no cell service, no contact from anything that we can tell. I think if I were in Jesus' situation, I would have kicked myself for letting this happen while I was gone. I would have found a way to at least put some of the blame on myself. Maybe I could have stopped John from being arrested. Maybe I could have convinced the officials to change their mind. At the very least, I could have at least said a few words of encouragement to John, let him know that I cared about him, that I, that I prayed about him. I could have eased his pain. I wonder if Jesus thought about any of these things as he walked back to Galilee. 
Sometimes unfortunate things happen when we're not around to do anything about it. A young child wanders too close to a hot object. An upstairs toilet leaks and floods the entire house. A critical decision is made, and there's nothing you can do to reverse it. We know that we can't be present in each and every situation, but when something bad does happen, we often regret not being there. And we sometimes think that we could have done something to have changed things if we would have been there. Do you think Jesus thought about these things when he got the news? Do you think he beat himself up about this as he traveled to Galilee? Do you think he questioned why God would have led him into the desert at the very same time that John was being led to prison? Well, we can only guess. Because Mark doesn't answer any of these questions. He doesn't answer any of these questions because he's Mark and he's on a word count. And the, word, and the story has to keep going, right? Now, we may not know how Jesus was feeling, but we know what he chooses to do. If we look at verse 14, we read that Jesus arrives in Galilee with his preaching voice ready. It almost sounds as if Jesus is already preaching as he enters into Galilee. And he says, the time has come. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. These are Jesus' first recorded words in Mark's gospel. And Mark seems to do this because he again wants us to see this clear transition between John and Jesus. John arrives first with the mission to prepare the way of the Lord. He preaches about baptism and repentance. He speaks of the one who will come after him, who will exceed him in power. And then John baptizes Jesus. Then Jesus is led into the desert, and while he is gone, John is put in prison. And now here's Jesus returned preaching the same message that John did. God is on the move, people. Turn away from your life of sin and repent. The movement from John to Jesus is very fast, but this is how Mark likes to tell his stories. The timing is usually sudden and immediate, and the shift from one thing to another is quite significant. Which brings us to this next movement, which I feel is the most dramatic in this first chapter. Jesus begins to walk beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is just a really big lake. It happens to be the, the biggest freshwater lake in Israel. It's shaped like a pear. It measures about 13 miles from north to south and eight miles across. And the surrounding land is fertile. The weather is warm. It, it sounds like a vacation destination. There's cities up and down the coast, and it's packed with fishermen. The water is just overflowing with fishermen. And Jesus is walking by this very body of water. And as he walks by the water, he looks out and he sees two brothers. Their names are Simon and Andrew. And we are given a very short description of them. They're casting a net into the lake because they are fishermen. And Jesus speaks to them. He doesn't ask them a question about how the fishing is or, you know, what sort of brand name of net they're using. No, he gives them a command. He looks at them and he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the brothers do what he says. Mark says that Simon and Andrew leave their nets and they follow after Jesus. And then Jesus tries the same thing with another set of brothers. In verse 17, we read that he walks a bit farther and he sees James and John and they're in a boat with other hired workers and with their own father and they're getting their nets ready. He calls out to James and John, and they leave the boat, and they follow Jesus just like Simon and Andrew had done. I like to fish. 
I'm by no means an experienced fisherman, but based on what I've experienced, fishermen never want to stop fishing. They're always wanting to fish. If they're catching fish, if they're successful, well, let's just keep this going. Like, have you ever known of a fisherman who's pulling in fish left, right, and center, and they think, whoa, you know what? Let's end the day early. Let's go home and relax. Conversely, if they're getting skunked, if they have a terrible day, they, they don't want the day to be wasted. They're trying a new approach or doing everything that they can. In this story, four fishermen, this is their profession, this is their life, they leave their work and they follow after Jesus. Two of them leave their own father hanging out to drive. Like, what would possibly motivate them to do this? Now, true to form, Mark doesn't use many words to tell this story, but he does include something that makes this story even more difficult to relate to, even more dramatic. He gives us a timeline. The men who follow Jesus do so immediately. They leave it once. They go without delay. When's the last time you did something immediately? I was asked this last week if I wanted a chicken burger or a hamburger, and I'm surprised by how long it, I'm, I'm not just surprised, I'm embarrassed by how long it took me to make that decision. My birthday's next week, and the thought of deciding what I should even ask for is overwhelming. Feels like another thing to add to the to-do list. You and I are bombarded by dozens of decisions every day. And the number of options that we have to choose from is so huge that most of us dread the next decision that we have to make. John Ortberg compares our world to a smorgasbord of choice that is actually starving us to death. We have too many options. We have too many decisions to make. But it wasn't always this way. When, Harry, when Henry Ford marketed the classic Model T Ford, he famously said, you can have the car in any color so long as it's black. And in the time that it takes me to decide whether I want to call a person today or wait and call them on the phone tomorrow, four men have left the water and they've chased after Jesus. How is that possible? What made them want to go? How can you leave something that you know so well for something that is completely unknown to you? I've thought about these questions for a while, and I wish that I could have a great answer to share with you, but I really don't know. I don't know what it was that caused these men to make the decision that they did. The cautious side of me wants to think that Simon and Andrew and James and John gave their decision a lot of thought. I would like to think that they considered their situation, that they spoke with trusted people about what they were going to do, that they spent time praying and poring over this choice. What will we do with our fishing nets? How can we be a good steward of the fishing resources that we have? Who will help dad while we're away? How will we help our family eat while we're on this wild goose chase? I would like to think that they asked these questions because I want to think that they felt ready before they left the water. I want them to have felt ready because I want to feel ready before I make my own important decisions. But then I wonder if even Jesus felt ready when he went to be alone in the desert. The book that I've referenced a couple of times by John Ortberg is called All the Places to Go, How Will You Know? He looks at all the open doors that each of us have in our lives and how we wonder and go about choosing which opportunities to take and which ones to leave. Do you know what he says about readiness? He says the truth about being ready is that you'll never be ready. And then he uses a wonderful example to illustrate his point. Preparing for parenthood. 
If you've ever heard anyone say that they're ready to look after a child, child, they're either lying to you or lying to themselves. No one's ever ready, fully ready to be a parent. So should we just decide that none of us should have any kids? Should we just stop having children as a society? Orper claims that feeling ready is highly overrated. It's overrated because God doesn't look for readiness. God looks for obedience. I bet the disciples didn't feel ready when they left the boat. And they're not alone. Moses didn't feel ready. Neither did Esther or Abraham or Gideon or Ruth or Isaiah or Saul. Most every character, actually. But they went. Many of them had to be pushed, but they went. And I think they went because they felt assurance, assurance of some kind that they were not going off on their own. They were not going somewhere. They were chasing someone. The three Greek words that Jesus uses in verse 17 literally mean, come after me. It almost sounds like something a child would say in a game or the gingerbread man would say, right? Come on, come on, come after me. Following Jesus means that he is ahead of you. Going after him means that he has already gone before you. You can't know for sure where you will end up, but you can be convinced that he is already there. Ortberg points out that Jesus doesn't say, go, you're ready. Instead, he says, go, I'll go with you. What matters is that he's ready. And you and I never know when he's ready. He's in charge of that. I've often wished that I knew what the future would hold so that I could prepare myself for it, so that I could feel ready for what was coming up. I thought that this would help me feel less nervous, less anxious, less worried about what would happen. Not long ago, I told my wife, Melissa, that I don't know if I would have known in advance what the last year would have held for us, if that would have helped at all. I'm quite convinced we still would not have been ready. It still would have been difficult. I actually think it would have been more difficult to know what the future would have hold. Jesus doesn't say, go, you're ready. He says, go, I'll go with you. I've been proud to watch many people in our church go chasing after Jesus even when they haven't been ready. You've walked with a loved one as they've battled cancer. You've tried to reconcile a, a relationship that needs to be restored. You've depended on God's strength as you've grieved the loss of a child. You've pursued a ministry opportunity in your neighborhood or across the world that you never would have thought about before. You weren't ready for any of these things, but you still chose to follow. Why did those four men choose to leave the water? The best reason I can think of is that it was something about Jesus. There had to have been something about him or something about his words that drew him from the water to his side. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You notice that word that he uses? It's a bit of an odd word, isn't it? He doesn't say that he will teach them or help them or even show them how to fish. He says that he will make them into fishers of men. His primary invitation to us is to follow him. And his primary job is to make us into something that we cannot make ourselves into. It's not our job, it's his job. If you don't feel ready to go, it's probably because you're not ready. But he's ready. Will you follow him? If you don't feel like you're able to fish, 
It's probably because you're a lousy fisherman. But it's his job to make you into a fisher of men. When you faithfully follow, he will make you into something new. He will make you search. He will make you vulnerable. He will make you dependent. And in that process, he will make you a fisherman. I don't think Simon or Andrew or James and John thought about any of this stuff when they left the water. I really don't know what they were thinking. And I'm guessing that there were days when those same disciples wished they would have stayed in their boats. I bet there were moments when they wished that Jesus would have just given them a straight answer instead of speaking in fuzzy parables and telling made-up stories. I bet they had some of those moments because I've had some of those moments. Some of you have some of those moments. But this doesn't mean that we stop following. It means that we remind ourselves that even though we might not know where we're going, our goal is not to know where we're going. Our goal is to chase after the one who called us out of the water. Here's what I know from my own experience and from the experiences that I've had walking with many of you. Following Jesus is worth it. It's so, so worth it. If you don't remember anything that I've ever said while I've preached here at this church, please remember this. Go follow him. Go after him. He will make you into what you cannot make yourself. It's a difficult road, but it's the best road to take because he will always be there with you. There are many different ways that we can try to measure value and self-worth in our world, but according to Jesus, the most valuable thing we can do is to follow him. It's the only way to truly experience life as we were created to live. And so I'd like to end our teaching time by singing a song that I grew up singing in church. It's one of the most simple songs you've ever been taught, and I'm looking for someone to come up and lead it. Ruth Ellen, thank you. Ruth Ellen has a beautiful voice, slightly more beautiful than my own. And we're going to do this a cappella. No instruments, no nothing. And Ruth Ellen, lead us, and we'll sing. Thanks.
when we say the word amen, that's a word of agreement saying, let it be so. And so we agree with that and agree with the challenge and the charge that Keith uh, has given to us to follow uh, Jesus. We want to, as uh, a part of uh, this morning, uh, honor the Lord by honoring those who have served well among us. And so we're going to uh, do that by just inviting a few people uh, to speak words of blessing and affirmation over each of Miriam and Keith. These are people that uh, they have, we've asked them and said, who would you like to say something uh, this morning? And so they've uh, selected and um, these individuals. And uh, so I'm going to ask if Ruth Ellen and then Meg and Al Thiessen would come up and uh, we'll speak words of blessing and affirmation uh, over Miriam. And Ruth Ellen's going to go first. Meg's going to read something uh, by Serenity. And then Al's going to uh, say something. And then Meg's going to pray uh, for Miriam. And so what we're going to do, we're going to do this, uh, and then we'll repeat this exact same format uh, for Keith. And then we'll transition into our picnic time uh, together. And after we do these words of blessing, then you can go and, and pick up your kids. So we'll give you some instructions about that in just a few minutes. So Ruth Ellen. Miriam, I am. I I wrote it out, so I'm not going to go off course. So I'm going to try and look at you, but I'll look at this as well. I am so grateful for the example of Christ's love and grace that you have been to me and to all of us at church, um, at Jericho Ridge. If I had to describe how you live life and interact with others, I would say that it's characterized by the presence of Jesus. It is evident that you walk with and you spend time with Jesus, and that permeates every area of your life. The fruits of the Spirit are just so evident. You have joy that comes only, I know, from having a deep faith and trust that Jesus is with you and is working all things for his good. You have patience that is hard-earned, I know. Um, you have gentleness Again, that comes from knowing and watching Jesus' gentle spirit. And I could go on and on and on. All the fruits of the Spirit are so evident in your life. You are not afraid of a mess, whether that's a messy house or a messy soul or a messy situation. I'm very grateful for that. You have stepped into many messy and hurting situations this year. And respond with such incredible tender love and grace. You have the ability to really be with people, uh, be present, acknowledging the pain and the frustration, and ministering to them through the Lord's love and grace. And yet, in, while you're with somebody, it's, you can hold the present situation in one hand, and yet you never lose sight of the kingdom and the joy and the hope that Christ's kingdom brings. And that's something that's very difficult to do, to hold those, hold the higher story, knowing the hope that we have while also being very present um, in the moment. So I ask that the Lord will continue to bless you with large measures of his love and grace. May he give you eyes to see his kingdom as it was meant to be while seeing the present in the ways that it's not yet redeemed and be able to reveal Christ to the world 
that is in need of him. Thank you for being an example worth following. Thank you for being with Jesus. And thank you for being with us and serving on the staff team this year. Miriam, this is from Serenity wrote this, I think they're on holidays. So Miriam, I'm sorry I cannot be there today to honor you in person, but I feel a privilege to pass on some words of encouragement and blessing despite my absence. What a gift it has been to work alongside you in previous years at Kids at the Ridge and to be guided and mentored you over this last year. You embody Philippians 2, 14 to 16. The verse states, do everything without complaining or argument so that you become blameless and pure, children of God without a fault and a crooked and deprived generation in which you shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast one day of Christ that I did not run, that I did not run or labor for nothing. Miriam, you've truly shone as you've served this past year. I have never heard you, never was capitalized, never heard you complain. You have loved our church well, even when it's been inconvenient, uncomfortable, or frustrating for you. You are an imitator of Christ. You humbly serve us as kids at the Ridge Leaders and the, and the kids and the parents of Jericho Ridge. Your efforts consciously and attention to detail does not go unnoticed. You gave all of yourself to your service without the expectation of any accolades from us. More significantly, you were and consistently are led by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for having ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that's willing to obey the Spirit's direction. We at Jericho, and specifically at Kids of the Ridge, have been blessed, encouraged, and challenged by your sensitivity to his voice. Thank you. Thank you also for your dedication to prayer for our kids. Many of us do not have a slew of people in our lives who pray for our children. Some of us have nobody. What a blessing you, that you love our children enough to consistently care about who they are and lift them up in prayer. I am also touched and challenged by the fact that you notice people who are readily, uh, oh, sorry, challenged by the fact that you notice people who readily and selflessly. There is not one Sunday that goes by that you are not on. I watch you welcome Greek kids and many adults. Your intentional work at catching their eye and sharing a smile with them. I know that both Mariah and I have been blessed by your willingness to take notice of us on Sundays and to love us as a result. Thank you for your service and loving us so well. We pray heaps of blessing on you as your new ministry role takes a new shape and you continue your transition to a new job. Hello, Miriam. I got to know you uh, a little bit better when there was an interview process in trying to find a replacement for Ruth Ellen as she went on maternity leave. And we had a number of candidates come through and then there was you and Ellen coming as a team that you had put together this idea. And as church leadership, uh, we were interested in finding a way to carry on for a year what Ruth Ellen had started and had such a, what we thought was quite a high standard and a very good program. And now that was being transitioned uh, for a year. And so I was impressed by a couple of things. One is your enthusiasm, uh, the way you had ideas, and the way you could put, it seemed like you could put ideas into practice and make it come into fruition. And that's a real gift set. And the other thing that I was impressed with was that you were willing to take a year out of your life to come and help our church in a very significant way. And that, I think, is a huge commitment, and I just want to thank you for that uh, from us as leaders at that time and as from Jericho Ridge. Um, and as has been said, 
your enthusiasm, your care for, for us as a church and as a people, and you had the support of your husband, and you were telling me that even some of the kids aren't afraid of him with his beard anymore because he's coming and being a part of it, and they're learning to be part of that and, that, and that he steps in with you like that and that support. I just want to bless you and thank you for uh, giving your year to us. And I think it's been something that we've, that transition has worked really well. One of our practices here at Jericho is a practice of commissioning. Uh, when someone steps into a new role that God has called them to, and we see this evidenced in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas and Barnabas were sent out on mission from where God had them to a new place uh, that they were, the church gathered around them and laid hands on them in that moment and season. And so if you'd like, uh, you certainly don't have to, you can stretch out your hand from where you are, but if you'd like, Miriam's just at the back there, so there's space behind her. If you want to move from where you're sitting and just gather in a circle around her and lay your hands on her as a sign of blessing and affirmation, and then Meg will pray uh, on behalf of the gathered community uh, for Miriam in this season. So... Go ahead and do that now, and then Meg will pray. Lord, I thank you for our friend Miriam. I thank you for how you have made her, Lord, and we rejoice in um, what a good gift you made, Lord. I think of um, how you made her eyes to see, Lord, um, those who are lost, those who are sad, those who need encouragement around us, Lord. Um, I thank you for her ears to hear, Lord, when you speak. Um, she She hears your voice very clearly, Lord, and then I thank you for her feet that walk in faithfulness to what those words are, Lord. And those are things that we know you gifted to her. And we just thank you um, for how she evidenced that faithfully to us here at Jericho Ridge, Lord. I also just praise you that we still get to be a part of that story, Lord, that those things that you've created in her are not due to a specific role, Lord, but as we bump into her on a Sunday morning, Lord, that those are still things that we can give praise to you for. And um, even as she works with all her accounting friends in her new job, Lord, that those things are still at work there, too. So I pray just an increase um, of blessing in those areas, Lord. I pray for rest, too, just coming off a busy season, as well as moving into a new house and a new neighborhood, Lord. May you give her and Sean rest and times to relax. I pray for um, quick relationships with their neighbors and just lots of joy in this season ahead, Lord. I thank you for how she faithfully served the kids here, Lord. And by serving the kids, she served us as adults, too. And, Lord, she, she served you well, and we, we account for that, Lord. We, we acknowledge that, that, um, that what you have done through her, Lord, is, um, has been amazing, and we are a better place because she served us so well. So pray um, just a blessing over today, Lord, um, reminder of how much she is loved and how much she's valued here by us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm uh, going to ask Katie Kwan and Laura Havercroft if they would uh, join us up here, and we're going to uh, do the same thing uh, for Keith. And each of them have uh, words that they have prepared, and Al as well, wearing khakis and a dress shirt. Well done, Al. Good memory. Eight years ago. Awesome. Cal, I'll ask you to start, Al. I'm an old guy. It doesn't look good to have shorts with my legs. doesn't work. So, Keith, you said I was one of the guys you wanted to have talk up here? Is that true? Like, this morning? Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have a couple of emotions this morning. One is, tell me, is it in Seoul? You're not going, are you? 
You are, okay. The second thought I have is, well, I guess we can share you. And last week, when Brian Cooper was here from the seminary, he offered a filing cabinet in trade. I just want you to know I'm going for two filing cabinets. Okay, just, we gotta get, this is not just a one-way deal with a seminary. The other thing is, my other motion is, God bless you, and we are enthusiastic in what God is leading you into and for your work among us here. And your gift set and your uh, coming into this position and you didn't know what it was all about and you've grown into it, uh, you've been very um, responsible in carrying out and learning what it is that uh, an associate pastor does. And Keith and I, we empathize with, with each other because I was an associate pastor that was called out of the congregation and I had zero sermons under my belt and I had no seminary. I just had construction. And so uh, Keith and I, we go out and talk about things and you have an easy smile and you have a relaxed way about you but I know that you work very hard and you're very determined in what you do. You think through what you're doing and for me, one of the areas that has shown up here is how you do child dedication and how you think through that and how you walk along with people in that. You have been diligent in your preparation and your delivery of sermons, and that comes through loud and clear, and I appreciate that in you. You've served our broader community in Langley here by being part of um, the community pastoral team at the hospital and at funeral homes. That's a wonderful thing that we can provide there. And the other, last thing I like about this is that I got a guy at the seminary if I need anything. It's always good to have a guy in high places. And so now all of us, we've got a guy at the seminary. If we need anything, that's a thing we can go to. So I appreciate that. Keith and Melissa. I was feeling surprisingly sentimental about this and have to keep reminding myself, we all work at the same place now. So <laughs> I can theoretically see you more. <laughs> um, but I'm also reminded that worshiping together and being part of a church community has been a, a precious gift. Um, I first started coming to Jericho because Melissa and I were sharing an office. She's like, just come to our life group. You don't even have to go to the church. Like, you need to be involved and you need to connect with us. And since that moment, I know myself and many of you have been invited into their homes, invited into their life. Um, Melissa and Keith have a gift of walking with people. And they do it in practical ways, and they recognize that sometimes the most practical thing is prayer. Sometimes the most practical thing is to cry with someone. Sometimes the most practical thing is just to let them take care of their kids and make them feel like they have a family here when their family's far away. Um, another thing I was thinking was, as you start to lift as I was listing things that I wanted to affirm in Keith and his leadership, they start to sound very boring. Because <laughs> a lot of the things that Keith has brought to this church are the things you only miss when they're gone. Things like responsibility, diligence, administrative giftings. I know any of you who have lived without administrative giftings know that that is important. <laughs> Faithfulness, constancy, faith, yeah, I'll say it again, faithfulness. <laughs> and Keith, to see you live those out in a way that reflects joy, that reflects peace, that reflects a firm hope in what Christ has called you to, has been an inspiration to me and to many in this church. 
as I've lived alongside you as a church member and served with you on the elders board. I think all of those somewhat boring, not glamorous traits are really the traits of a good shepherd. That's what you want. You want someone who's not going to leave, not going to give up, and continue to work even though he's tired, even though there's so much going on, because sheep wander everywhere, but has an eye for each of them. And I know that as different members of this church family have walked through different seasons of their life that Keith has seen and noticed and been the first to reach out, the first to visit, the first to pray. And we are so grateful for that. Colossians 1, 1 to 6 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And so, Keith, as you transition into a new role, where your calling to be a shepherd will supersede any other call that you have in your life. We pray protection and we pray for perseverance of the hope that you have in Christ. Because we know, and I know that you would be the first to admit that it's that hope that empowers you to love all the saints, broken and crazy and midnight call prone as we are. So we thank you and we bless you as you go forward, knowing that you will continue to bless those around you and continue the work of the kingdom. Um, yeah, Keith and Melissa. I came to Jericho many years ago. I came single, I came kidless, I came jobless, I came churchless. And uh, all of that has changed in my life now. And in some really weird, reflect on it, creepy way, Keith and Melissa have been a part of every single one of those changes. Um, at Newcomer's Lunch, Keith was the one who raised his hand and said he would open his home and Melissa's home for this small group of us who asked for a Bible study on, I quote, anything but the parenting DVD, because that was all that was offered that year. And they did. They started a group, and they launched us out, and that group met for two years. That's the connection that first kept us at Jericho, I think. Um, Melissa providentially tipped me on to a job opening. Thank you, Ethan Teeter, for being born. <laughs> Um, which ended up being my dream job. And I have watched you, Melissa, tirelessly and very gracefully work on connecting people and resources. You do it so well, and you do it so non-pushy and so unthreatening, and um, that's a blessing to all of us. Um, switch. Um, when John and I felt there was a spiritual battle in our home, we invited Keith over, and he stood with us in prayer. Keith, you're... Um, Humble prayers and powerful connection with our Jesus was light and life to us. Before I knew my huggies from my pampers, Melissa was gifting clothes and encouraging words through all the messy stages that knowing, mm-hmm, yeah, it's okay, was, uh, was essential for me. When Levi was born, um, his arrival didn't feel truly finished until um, Pastor Keith came to visit. And uh, a full-time job in this church, this church, but I do think it is an example of Keith's just practical pastoring and loving. I would also like to request, if I am blessed with more kids, I'd still like a pastoral visit. Thank you very much. Um, this is my story with the Reeds, but I share it because I think all of us have those stories. Um, and I, it's so funny because I wrote this, and everything I've heard spoken over you, Keith, this morning has been consistency and faithfulness. So this was my word for you. When I think of you guys, I think of the tide, the steady, faithful, powerfully essential movement of the tide as it brings in and takes out. 
It breaks down, it refreshes, it soothes, and it stays. You are both incredibly essential souls, and the gifts I see you having given here at Jericho are beautiful, and you have become a part of my story. I know you are going to do more than the same at Trinity to invest in others and to call out what God has buried in them. Like Al said, we send you out with sadness and with joy, and we hope you come back. So we're going to do the same thing. If you'd like to stand and move over and lay hands on Keith and Melissa, then we would invite you to do that. Or you can stretch out your hand uh, from where you are, and Al is going to uh, offer a prayer on behalf of the community uh, of blessing for Keith and for Melissa in this season. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Keith and Melissa to our church. We thank you for their openness to your guiding in their hearts and lives, and that led them to giving leadership in our church, both formally and informally, in the lives of many people. And so, Lord, there will be people in heaven because of their faithfulness. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the time and the energy that they put in. I thank you for Melissa's support of Keith as he was doing the many things behind the scenes that are required uh, administratively and caring for us as a, as a shepherd in our community. Lord, we pray that as they enter this new time in their life and a new position and new responsibilities, I pray that Keith would find favor among the people that he's working with and that as he starts to work with what <clears throat> they want to develop as far as leadership development and training for, for leaders that are already working in churches, I pray that you would continue to uh, let Keith grow in his gifts and pray that you would give him wisdom and insight and his shepherding and ministering days aren't over. They're just going to get bigger and have a wider impact in our community as he works with church leaders from all sorts of churches through our, our denomination and through our seminary. So Lord, thank you for them and their time in our church. And we just uh, commit them into the greater work that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask uh, Ralph if he would come and uh, get ready to close us off. On behalf of the elder team. Oh, are you looking for these, Ralph? Oh, okay. He's got his note. Okay. All right. Um, so, Miriam... And Keith, can we get you guys to come up here? And Ralph has just a presentation on behalf of the elders team as a, just a tangible expression of thanks. Well, being the last speaker, I have uh, very few words to add. It kind of sucks being the last one because all your thunder has been stolen. So uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Ditto, yeah. <laughs> She has all the answers. So uh, rather than uh, just say a whole bunch of things again, I just want to encourage you all to uh, express personally your thanks to both Miriam and to Keith. I know they've touched many of you. We've heard all of that. And uh, we just want to thank them uh, very much for the service that they've given us. Miriam, uh, where to start? It, uh, here's a card that many people have written in, and I'm sure there's more uh, expressions of thanks to come. And as a church, we weren't sure what to give you as a token. How do you thank somebody who's given her heart for a whole year? And uh, 
it was good to read and report that after time of rest, you anticipate coming back as a high energy volunteer. So <laughs> you all heard that. <laughs> so we just really want to thank you very much for the time that you've given us. And uh, just to show a little bit of thanks uh, in her new role in the office that she's working in, she just confirmed to me this morning that is dangerously close to Starbucks. So we thought we'd give her a gift card to Starbucks. Apparently around the office, she uh, very seldom seen her without a Starbucks cup. So, uh, and then also they just moved into a new home at the beginning of June. So a gift certificate to HomeSense to find some things to hang up and, or whatever. So Miriam, on behalf of the congregation, thank you so much. God bless. And Keith, where do I start? I know you're a man of few words, so I won't say too much. You, you just want to get this over with. I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> so again, I just want to encourage you all to, uh, to thank Keith. Uh, he's been invaluable around the board table. He just keeps records. If you want to know anything, just ask Keith. He's got all the answers. You know where to find it. And uh, we've heard it this morning. He's steady and uh, just a real asset to our church. And Keith, we really want to thank you for the time and for the dedication that you've given. So what to give a guy that's been with us for eight years? That's a real challenge. So uh, he has very few wants. He's easily satisfied. So we thought we'd talk to Hudson, and Hudson deferred to his mom. So we had our sleuth, Brad, go talk to uh, Melissa. So Keith, for starters, we thought we would, uh, i got to get this right here. Right, I thought so. I wasn't sure what come first. First, we, we got you a certificate for a round of golf with your buddies. So Keith likes golfing. I, I really wasn't aware of that, to be honest with you. But apparently on his days off, he does go golfing. Is he? Oh, right on. Okay, I wouldn't know. I, I don't do that. So, uh, so Keith, enjoy your round of golf. I hope you beat the other guys. Me too. Me too. Hey? What I know about golf is you all are four. Hit it five times and write down three. Is that right? Yeah? <laughs> okay. All right. So then uh, then another thing that Melissa thought you would enjoy is tickets to a Mariners game behind home plate. So you can watch the Mariners with your brother. I know uh, we have more Mariner fans out here. So uh, if you look for Keith behind home plate one of these days, uh, he should be hooting and hollering with his brother there. And then last, we are, as on behalf of Jericho, we're giving a contribution to the uh, scholarship fund set up at Trinity Western on behalf of your father. So those are uh, just a few very small tokens of our thanks to you and all your service, Keith. And we look forward to seeing you online, uh, no matter where we are in the world. Hopefully we can see you sometime online and take some of your courses and some of your wisdom and expertise from there. I knew when we promised you guys we were going to end early, it wasn't going to happen. Oh, but uh, what we would like to do at this point is um, just we asked if you would uh, come and bring a picnic with the express purpose that then you'd be able to spend time uh, just letting Keith and Miriam know around just a more casual and relaxed environment. 
uh, of the meaningful things and input that they have had into your lives. And so we ask them uh, what would be kind of things that if they were going to have at a picnic, what would they have? So Keith has two things, Mountain Dew and Doritos are these two go-to snack items. And then uh, for Miriam, she said cream puffs and then fishy crackers from her work with kids. So that's what Jericho has provided. So if you go down the stairs and around the building,